Thank you everyone for joining us. This is Mo Better Business Mob. Today, we're here to talk about a little bit about kind of stuff that we're seeing in technology, particularly as it relates to big tech. We have with us Troy Williams, who's been involved in technology as in the recruiting space for well over a decade. So Troy, I don't want to kind of step on your, your background too much, but I'd love to hear more. And if you can fill in folks about kind of how you got started and you know, what you're up to these days. Yeah, so I, I started in talent acquisition about 22 years ago or 23 years ago when the dot-com boom. And, uh, you know, things have changed tremendously since then. You know, back then they were saying, we just want a warm body, you know, and no one actually had to know what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the dot-com bust, right? But yeah. since then, from there, I, I went to a... Uh, a small agency, but we had a, a good amount of customers here in the me- D.C. metro area, and we grew that to about 300 contractors, and we sold to Agilon. I stayed on with Agilon for about a year and a half, just introducing them to the customers, basically Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and a lot of the banks in the area, Discovery Channel. And then from there, I got into the, uh, with Agilon, really, I wound up getting into the government space, starting out with L3 and doing like cryptologic interpreters. And then I got into the NSA space with uh, technology, software engineers and cybersecurity folks. And I did that till about uh, really till about a year ago, all, you know, I was doing Lockheed Martin Software Center of Excellence. We put 180 people there and trainers and new people and everything like that. And then I started with Amazon about a year ago with their Pathfinder program, which is basically an experimental talent acquisition program where we test everything that the rest of Amazon talent acquisition will do or possibly use later. So... You know, just a great example of best practices, rapid growth, you know, scalability. My interest, though, is African-American software engineers. I'm also doing my Ph.D. in organizational leadership. But my focus is the I mean, my my dissertation is on uh, the diversity, the disparity of diversity uh, of African-American software engineers and technology. So that's the quick and dirty. Spend a long (laughs) career. I guess the first thing, you know, it's very interesting what you said about your PhD and kind of African-American software engineers. You had to say, what do you think is kind of, to me, the most obvious thing is like, what do you think has changed between, let's say, at the beginning of your career to today? Is there anything that you're seeing is, you know, kind of different in our space? Well, one, I think that like the the Asian American or the Asian has taken over the software engineering space, just really the technology space incredibly in terms of leadership roles and in terms of software engineering over the span of this career. I think that it makes it very difficult. One of the things I see with, you know, one of the issues that I think I see with uh, especially African-American or, you know, even just African-American and Hispanic software engineers is when they come into the interview, if they come into an interview, um, they're interviewing with four people that Hopefully, um, the communication level is up to par. And, you know, I think in terms of software engineering, you know, it's all about solving problems, but, you know, everyone kind of solves problems differently. So I would like to see how when African-American software engineers get into leading the pack, how do we think? How do we solve problems? Are we actually solving the problems just like them? Or, you know, because our problems are different, do we go about doing it a little bit differently? And can they, are we bridging that gap in an interview space? 
You know what I mean? Are yeah. they are they just so textbook that they're not able to understand how we're solving our our issues? Yeah, I think it's just a comment on. I think it's very interesting because I think even for Asian Americans, I think there is like the predominant is still like the guy who's going to interview you at the end of the interview process is still typically middle-aged white guy who will have the decision on whether you're in or out, right? Whether it's the CTO, whoever the tech lead is, it's mm-hmm. still going to be most cases. And it's changing. I agree with you. If there is a, a change in the market, it's that Asian Americans- Almost are- never at Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it probably varies from place to place. But what I would say to that is like, even I think for, you know, just Asian American to, you know, white American, there's probably that, you know, mm-hmm. way, difference in communications. I've seen it in just how engineers, there's definitely cultural differences across every single group where, um, you know, what I do on kind of Web3 and blockchain recruiting, there's different standards that people expect, right? I'll have people who come on, not on video, right? And culturally, that might be just completely fine for them. Just like, hey, I'm having a conversation with you, right? Whereas it's kind of expected in you know the United States of like, it's one person's on video and the other person, you know, there's just literal, little cultural differences that if everybody who's hiring looks the exact same way and you come from a different culture, it's like there's immediately that kind of barrier that people probably don't even realize uh, that has to be bridged. Yeah, I agree. And I think it affects us. It affects us tremendously because we're just like such a small part of the market. You know, yeah. when we look at like Silicon Valley, you know, the bigs like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, none of them have over 2% African-American technologists. You yeah. know what I mean? So, and the thing is, because we're, it's like, we're kind of spread out far and thin. So it limits, you know, your power in the arena. If there's only two, how often does your argument get heard or truly if it comes to a vote, you know, how, how many supporters do you have? You know what I mean? So things like that we have to worry about. And also, you know, educating our, our children at a younger age, like providing opportunities for them to grow into the space, like the, you know, the code ninjas and stuff like that. But we need those in our community as well. You know, Troy, uh, you know, as someone who's who's a scholar on this, right, you're, you're getting your Ph.D. in the area. What does the data actually say around, you know, the reasons behind the lack of African-Americans in tech and what is the growth? trajectory look like? Like how much has the increase been over the last, say, few years, if you know that information? Okay. So initially, the, the you know, the data says that on the West Coast, like the Silicon Valley area, you know, it's kind of low, like about 3%, you know, of us are in software engineering. On the, on the East Coast and, you know, that hub being this DC metro area, it's a little bit higher, you know, somewhere around 8% or something like that. One of the things that they're struggling with is one, collecting data. Not a lot of people are writing, you know, dissertations that have to do with African-Americans specifically, you know, when you say African-American, you're saying a lot of things. There's the historic descendant of slave African-American, then there's the, you know, first generation African-Caribbean, you know, and then there's also like, you know, some Pakistanis or, you know, some Asians will put themselves out. They grew up in a black neighborhood. You know what I mean? They'll put African-American on the thing. It's because when you see the names of who's in the box, you're like, hey, you know, this guy, you know, it's a very popular uh, name from uh, Hyderabad, you know. So, you know, that's the first thing. And so who are they? Right. And then they're saying, okay, we have the digital divide. Okay. That's one. That's the first reason we don't have access to Internet. We don't have access to technology. 
The second thing is, you know, even our HBCUs, when you look at the curriculums that they've been using, and, you know, they were just provided with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars over the last two years. But if you compare their curriculum to a, let's say, University of Maryland or George Washington, who I know they work closely with, you know, the government and their curriculum is kind of, it follows the government because they go in there and they, they're teaching them and they're learning there. So it was a curriculum that was, you know, when you came out of school, can you even get a job? If you didn't do other things like get an internship or do some studying on your own, coming out of out of a four-year program, you know, how can you come out of a four-year program technology program and not be eligible for an opportunity? You know what I mean? Or a mm-hmm. software engineer. They're, they're not, I mean, they were just learning like the basic stuff, you know what I mean? And yeah. like just not taking them that that one or two step further. They could have just took uh, a lot of the guys that I've seen, and I've talked to thousands of HBCUs. I've argued with HBCUs about their curriculum. I've taken them and showed them a University of Maryland curriculum against their own curriculum and just say, which one, which one of your schools has the one that can compare with this curriculum? You know what I mean? And and give your kids the opportunity to get a position when they come out. And so the training isn't there. And, you know, people often aren't willing to to listen on how they can probably prepare their students a little bit better when they come out when they come out of school, unless they're in, you know, some tight program like Lockheed Martin will offer a program. We're coming to, you know, the school and we're looking for X amount of students, those X amount of students, you know, may be guided right. But a lot of them, you know, they're just not guided right. I talked to a kid, he's a PhD in software engineering at Bowie. You know what I mean? As a PhD, you know, he can get into a research program, but he couldn't be like a software engineer. And I got kids coming out of Drexel or whatever. I mean, we're hiring them in school uh, 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 Waterloo and Cal, you know, out there, out West, you know, the kid, he hasn't even finished school and he could be like an SDE one. You know what I mean? Right yeah. now. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he worked for his internship was at Apple and KPMG. And you know what I mean? So we're not well, getting important. those opportunities. We're not getting those internship opportunities that can really turn us, turn the corner for us into getting an actual, a real job. Not the one where we're getting the, you know, the fake affirmative action opportunity. You know, I want, you know, a real opportunity where you can be competitive and you can grow. And then the, the last thing that I would think is the mentorship once you get into into the into the office. It's like I said, how do who are you looking to for leadership? Who are you looking to for guidance to bring you up in this program? I see these guys come in and they, they get on to a mentor and the mentor just guides them wherever they need to go. You know what I mean? So yeah. those three things I think stand out. So and that's a lot of heat. That's yeah, a lot of heat. There's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> on back there. Yeah. The thing that kind of jumped out to me was you said, and you said it pretty quickly, was about how the internship, as you mentioned a guy, he's basically in college, right? He's But he's got the Apple, he's got KPMG. You're in a position where you're constantly seeing a thousand resumes per day, right? How important is it to have that name brand on your resume when you're kind of entering technology? Does it kind of separate you from the pack? Is it simply the school? Is it how well they perform on that initial call? What's the thing that when you see it, you feel like I got to pick up the phone and call this person? You know, when I see that, we're going to give you a look. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to someone at a random position doing technology software at a company that I don't recognize because most of the stores I'm working for now, Microsoft, Google's, Amazon's are big box stores. So, you know, you got to be able to work at that scale, you know, even if you, you know, everything has to be logical and maintainable at that, at this big box scale. So even if you've 
worked at these smaller places, which it doesn't really mean that, you know, you know, it just depends on the person. But right away, you know, you ha- you have like, for instance, Amazon has 30 million people in the database. How much time do I have to actually analyze this candidate? You know what I mean? Uh, initially, when, you know, so when I see that, I'm going to pull him out of the pack and shoot, shoot him down the line. He's been a Apple, KPMG and Intuit. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he hasn't even graduated from college yet. Yeah. And Apple called him back twice, you yeah. know, so. He's got a promising future. <laughs> like Something that's interesting to me also is, you know, you mentioned that it's at 2% around in these major tech companies, kind of black engineering. What are, to me, because I think the, one of the biggest draws of joining an Amazon, joining an Apple, right, is frankly, the salaries are pretty absurd right? What can people expect? Because I think for a lot of smaller companies, like, right, there's, there's probably a cap for an engineer around 125, 150, maybe 175. <laughs> but what can someone who's going into an Amazon, what can they expect for, let's say, a mid-level engineer? Like, what, what would they expect to kind of make? For an engineer two, which would be like anywhere from like three to five years, you know, with probably $300,000, that would be the, that would be a sweet spot. Yeah. And that's without that's like really pushing negotiation. Hmm? Yeah. 80,000 a year in stock options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you hear numbers like that, right, which are way higher than what they're going to make, the same engineer at a startup is going to make half of that, right? What do you think is stopping black engineers from, because from our previous conversations, you're saying they're not even applying. They're not even returning some of the calls. What do you think is preventing that even when the call is coming from you? It's interesting. I think, you know, I don't know if it's that they've heard, you you know, the work-life balance. I don't know if they, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm really still trying to figure it out because they're not even giving me the opportunity to say, hey, look, like I like, let's say I just put an engineer in Northrop Grumman. I know what you're making. So I was like, you're not even giving the opportunity to say, hey, look, I, I, you know, I put you there. I'm trying to groom. I'm trying to bring you up into the big leagues. You're ready, you know, and double your your salary and your pay, you know, increase your livelihood for your family. And I even calling you back. It's like, I don't know if they've already heard that once they get it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I really yeah. am still trying to figure it out. I had a guy, he was about to, he was about to um, interview with us. He didn't want to, one, he didn't want to take the hacker rank challenge. We talked about that, which is really pretty simple from, you know, yeah. the people who are passing it, if these college kids are passing it, you know, with the no. prep, you should be able to pass it, right? So, and then he, you know, he, he picked up a job with AT and T. I'm like, dude, I know you're not making this type of money. You, you should have, you know, we're 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 talking about real, you know, cabbage, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And and also, it's not just the money. It's the best practices. It's the training. It's all the opera. You know, it's like even if you don't stay here, you stay. I mean, if you can, if you can hack it out for a year, you can write your own ticket. You know what I mean? You know, and just being in the in the environment with that type of positive energy. The reason why those guys work so hard is because they're kind of motivated by like some type of competitive spirit to be the best. You know what I mean? And and what I what I have seen about them and what I like about them is they're kind of encouraging everybody around them to get with the spirit and, and let's all be the best together. What do you need? How can we help you? And it, it's very interesting. I, I think it's a hard entry, but I think once you come in and once you get acclimated, it's easy. But I don't you know, I don't know what the barriers are. I know like at Amazon, like I said, it's like all the inter- the debriefs that I've been a part of, you know, it hasn't been a lot of diversity in them. 
I must admit, in the software engineering specifically, yeah. you know, the debriefs are very, you know, undiverse. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's it because, you know, I'm not bringing them to the table. I'm not seeing the software engineers. Not that I'm not seeing them with the tickets, you know, but they're just not communicating yet. So I keep working on, um, you know, we did like, I did like three events this year just for diversity, women and people of color, you know, so hacking hard. Amazon has like 1.75%. Their goal is to get to 4%. You know what I mean? That's their goal to try to get to 4%. So we're looking everywhere. Not only that, I've encouraged them to provide all this other training to the people that we're specifically looking for in these diversity pools to give them a little additional, you know, time to prepare for the test more, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, people just aren't taking advantage of it at this point. I'm not sure why. Yeah, not sure. interesting problem. Not, yeah, not an easy answer. Nope. That's really interesting. Do you find that the candidates lack specific hard skills? Do they no. need like certain coding languages or that's something that they learn on the job? Or is it more soft skills, not really you know, understanding how to how to do an interview or what, what are the real challenges that you're looking at? I think like really the, the people that I've contacted, number one, they're qualified. They're probably a little even more qualified. But I think that often they're, they're also may either have some entrepreneurial effort which I don't get to talk to them about because Amazon is interested in that. You can do a lot of entrepreneurial things here. You know, they're interested in, in helping you to do something that you want to do for yourself as well. Or, you know, your entrepreneur, they have, they call it, uh, I can't think of it, name, but they have a specific program for people who want to do entrepreneurial things at Amazon. Yeah. Also, they're just kind of happy where they are because there's like, I don't want to say that there's, you know, it's a small pool. So most of them who, who have gotten to a certain level, I mean, they've, they've experienced a, a certain level of success. I just think that as a group, they're kind of still being underpaid. They're still kind of not actually getting the choice or the best opportunities. When I was working in the government for a long time, what I would see is, let's say working with 8A firms, okay? So what would happen is, let's say it's a migration from C++ to Java or from C to C++. Mm-hmm. The 8A firm would wind up on C. All the other people were on the C++, you know, on the other side. And they would, re- and so what happens is they would get the C work and, okay, you get the C work, but the C work is now obsolete after this program is over. And not only, so, so with all these other dudes transitioned in the C++ and they kept moving, you're kind mm-hmm. of handicapped now. They paid you a little more at the time to entice you, but now you got to either go get some more education or hopefully you made some connections or you wind up in another project that's going from C to C++ and you're on the handicapped side. You know what I mean? Losing Mm -hmm. even more ground. So they were doing a lot of that. And that was happening to 8A after 8A. And of course, the money for the firm looked good. You know, it was in the millions and this, that, and the other. But when you think about the opportunity, that the opportunity cost, what they missed not being on that other side and not being having people that continue to grow and work and flourish within that organization, you know, a lot of opportunity costs is lost. And so I don't know if we're still struggling with that, you know, but it's like these little hurdles that we got to kind of get over and we got to come together to do it. More meetings like this, more software engineers. I'm talking about 
African-American, especially African-American males, not for nothing. Nobody's looking out for you, <laughs> man. So let's let's get into that. Let's get into that, Troy. Let's let's tread lightly, but let's get into that because it's a recurring theme. And you mentioned African-American males specifically. And there's we've noticed anecdotally that we see in my work as well. A lot of the engineers that I see who are from the diaspora are not necessarily Americans, and often they are not African-American males. So let's talk about that. You Again, you're the scholar, right? So what data supports that? So we're not just, you know, speaking anecdotally and in conjecture, but let's talk about that more. Well, when you look at just like uh, the census, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, okay, when you look at African-American males, I think they are the lowest on the totem pole. And like I said, it it doesn't dissect all those other cultures from the African-American male. Whoever is brave enough to check African-American male can be an African-American member. But when you look at the names, you know, it's not like Tyrone Johnson. Through culture, you know, through trying to get back with our roots, we have, a lot of us have changed our names, so you just can't go by the names. But it's very difficult for them to pinpoint. But either way, even with all of those people joining us, we're still the bottom of the totem pole. Everybody else is higher than us. Hispanic women, Black women, except for Hispanic males. We go back and forth. They're usually a little lower, but lately they've been coming on. You know, they're doing a lot of things in South America. You know, they're coming on a little stronger. But um, we're just on the, the low end of the totem pole. And in terms of when it's time, I mean, like I said, I've been doing this 22 years. When it's time, what they go through in the interview process, it's just often unfair because you can tell by, you used to be able to tell by when the guy talked to him on the phone and everybody, and then when he came in, it was just like a whole nother, everything you're explaining to me now doesn't sound like what you were talking about before. You know, has something changed with his ability? No, we just don't. You know, I say, we don't think he's a culture fit. We don't think, we're not sure if he's a team you know, the intangibles that it's like, how can you tell like in an interview? You know what I mean? It's, so there's that. And then there's just, I think in a lot of these interviews, I mean, you know, I think they kind of get attacked in the interview. It feels like it. Like I hear like five different interviews, like just sitting in, listening to what's going on from the back. And you can just hear some of the the inferences that are like, why well, you didn't ask this guy that? What you know? What made you dig deep? Yeah, there's what more of a questioning. Like you hear some anger sometimes and different things. That, you know, but I think there's more of a questioning of their ability that other people probably don't experience. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot you know to be said of that. I think of of why you know black males typically were at the bottom of, of the kind of the tech industry so i think there's it's yeah to what you said i think these conversations are needed because the data still isn't even kind of cleared up or clarified so a lot to kind of learn from from just con- conversating on these topics but something i did want to while we're getting close to time i just wanted to kind of get an understanding of so obviously you've been in recruiting for you know over 20 years if you had to say kind of in the last two or three what would you say has kind of grown or, or changed in the space that's kind of surprised you i think cybersecurity and software engineering you know i think that the level of <laughs> how unsecure you know, I mean, just I, I did a lot of work with cybersecurity for Booz Allen Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And, and literally what they were doing was they were taking their cybersecurity platform and basically selling it around the world to other people. But the lack of security, you know, what, what I think is um, is just going to be like, I don't know how they can possibly secure anything 
almost. You're seeing all this ransomware and all, they're ransoming cities, they're ransoming states, you know, they're ransoming people. People are getting like seven cents a day taking out of their checking account every day. You wouldn't even notice, you know what I mean? So one of the things that I think that we got to get a handle on is definitely cybersecurity. I'm going to go back to African-Americans and software engineering. For me, you know, everything is about automated processing and, and procedure. And if you can't keep up, you know, if we can't solve our issues, if we're going to be the last one that has the ability to solve their issues because we can't automate our processes and procedures, you know, it puts us in a very vulnerable position as a culture, as a people, you know what I mean? And I think that we really have to wake up and really pay attention to, you know, technology because development is freedom now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Development literally is freedom. If you can't solve your problems, if you can't process information, information is just coming too quickly to be processed just in your head. We have to come up with tools to process our issues. And, and as a as a culture, we, we need think tanks and groups that work on our issues specifically. And I think those are changes that have happened and changes that we need to make in order to have a, yeah. a, a better uh, look for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's an amazing way to look at it. It's like development is becoming freedom. It's synonymous with, you know, being able to handle information overload, being able to, you know, analyze data faster to understand what the problem is even. These are things that I think, yeah, I agree we're behind on. I don't think it's, I do think in the last five years, it's, it's kind of like there's been such a focus on conversations like these in-person events, you know, kind of reaching back and helping someone who's, who's less experienced in your career that I would say, at least when I kind of got into tech in the early 2010 era, it didn't exist in any format, really. It was absolutely the case of you're the one person in the room and you were just, that was going to be, you know, that's the expectation that was the rest of your career. So to even see that it's changed where I think people are looking more to reconnect with other black people who are in tech, I think is that's even a sign, an early sign. I think it's still super early for us, but I think it's at least a sign that, you know, it's heading in the right direction. I agree. Yeah. Awesome. To hear, yeah, are there any last questions? I don't want to take up too much of your time for it, but you know, it's been some great, some great insights. Yeah, no, man, it was my pleasure. You know, I, I like to talk about this stuff <laughs> and I just hope that we get the chance to bring more people together, you know, more heads together and try to figure out some other ways to handle these, these situations. Yeah. Troy, what are some things, low-hanging fruit items that a young person or someone who's new in their career, let's say it is an African-American male mm -hmm. or, or someone from an underserved community, what kinds of things can one do outside of, you know, not everyone has access to certain schools and programs and internships, mm -hmm. um, things that are under their control, under our control, things that you can learn either for free or cheaply? What are some opportunities for people to make themselves more attractive to the right employer for the right position? I think in software engineering, you have you have a few new technologies, React, mm -hmm. Ruby, and, and those two, I see a lot of people learning without going to four years of college. I see, like, for instance, uh, I had a contract with Bloomberg, and we were hiring people who had 12 months of Ruby, you know, at $90, $110 an hour. You know what I mean? And they had no college. They had no college degree. Nope. So that's a great technology to pick up. Ruby on Rails. 
React, Python. Yeah. In addition to that, I think that, you know, African-Americans should also look into the printers that, you know, print materials and print mm-hmm. and print things. I think that's a big market. I think there's a manufacturer, you know, we as American, as a culture, we don't manufacture anymore. And, mm-hmm. right. you know, these guys who sell the printers, often they have contracts with manufacturers, especially in this area now where they don't do the work. They'll sell you the printer give you the contract to do the work for, and they'll train you. They'll train you on the printer as well. And they have scholarships. There's a company called MakerBot that um, I work with. I think it was Hewlett Packard. And they will actually train you on their product and they'll give you funding for the product and then they'll give you a customer as well. So I think there's a big market because we don't do a lot of manufacturing. We not, we need a lot of parts, a lot of pieces and things that can be made in these printers. And that's a place, you know, that's some place in technology for, for African-Americans to get into. They're not that expensive either. You know, $300, $1,500 for a professional. So those that's are a few gold. things that I can think of. That's gold, actually, especially with like supply chain issues that are inevitably going to move into the future, right? And um, man, Manufacturing, there are a lot of government incentives, both on the federal and local level, for manufacturing to just offset that trade deficit. So it's emerging technology, something we can jump in, and we have to jump in in something that's emerging so we can get a foothold and kind of, you know what I mean? So that we're not the last to the party. That's definitely the mentality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Troy, so much for you know taking the time with us. Some amazing insights shared from you know well over a two decade career tech. So you've, you've been able to see kind of so much. So yeah, again, thank you for joining us, and we really do appreciate you know people like yourself coming on and, and just kind of sharing some of those things that I think people don't have an opportunity to really understand or, or see from that perspective. My pleasure. It's a pleasure meeting you guys as well. Same thank you, Troy. Time. Thank you. All right, man. Same to you. you guys Thanks. Have a great day. All right. You do. You Take too. Care.